All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. A lot to talk about, shall we say. You know, we had a bye week, and uh, I told you guys how much I was looking forward to just sitting around watching college football on Saturday. That was the plan, with the best laid plans of mice and men, 
often fail. Spend a lot of time on the phone, texting, calling, reaching out to people, answering questions. Spend a lot of time over to jeanspage.com message boards. A lot to deal with, shall we say. So I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of college football. Watch some. More times than not, college football watch me talk on the telephone. There was a big moment on uh, this weekend, too. Huge moment. A historic moment. That's right. The Mississippi State soccer team wins their first ever SEC tournament game 2-1 to one over Texas A&M. They'll play today at uh, 5 p.m. at Ashton Brosnam Park, Athletic Park there in Pensacola, Florida. 2-1 winners in overtime. Last night against Texas A&M. So congratulations to our ladies. Let's don't let that moment be kind of washed afoot, underfoot, shall we say, with uh, what's happened. Of course, uh, Mississippi State Director of Athletics John Cohen has now accepted a position over at Auburn. First order of business, firing head football coach Brian Harson. That's one way to make an impact, right out of the gate. So we have, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it down for you on the show today, kind of explain to you kind of what I knew, when I knew it, and kind of what's happened. And where do we go from here? We'll take a quick look around the Southeastern Conference. But uh, I did not want this show to happen today without us at least tipping the cap to our great women's soccer team that is now 11-4-4. and and Coach James Armstrong uh, doing something that no soccer coach has ever done before at Mississippi State. How about that? How about that? So congratulations to them and good luck against the top-ranked Tide. You know, we played the Tide here recently. We lost 4-1, and our team has it's been riddled with injuries. But um, you know, we got off to a great start. We, get, we win the Magnolia Cup, and then we dropped two in a row, and then we tied Georgia 1-1 on Thursday. But, uh, you know, we, we get the win. It's a big, big, big moment for us. But, uh, again, congratulations. I did not want to, to publish this show today without at least tipping the cap to those ladies that have fought through some adversity and now done something nobody else has ever done. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I did, I did go have a, a steak Friday night at the grill. I love that entire family of restaurants, but I'll tell you, the one that I frequent the most is Bulldog Burger Company. I can get a lot of what I want with the Eat With Us group, but Bulldog Burger Company has kind of carved out a niche. I can have it for lunch. I can have it for dinner. You can go up there and you can have like an an evening with the guys or the girls or your family. You can watch a ball game, have an adult beverage, or maybe have a family night. Give mom a night off or maybe dad a night off, depending on your circumstance. Go up there and have a great restaurant-quality hamburger. And maybe you don't feel like eating that heavy. You get that BLT salad. I prefer it grilled. You may like it fried. I get mine with ranch dressing. I'm from South Mississippi. That's kind of what we do. The Bulldog Burger Company is a great place to dine, a great place to enjoy some time with the people you care the most about. Be sure and frequent one of their great locations. There are now three of them. University Drive here in Star Vegas, that new patio area is Absolutely outstanding. And it's nice, cool enough now you can go eat on a patio. 
In addition, you've got Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and then Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. You'll be glad you did. And the chocolate shake to go. I'm a big fan of the dessert to go. I really am. I think that is that is a an untapped niche, so shall we say. All right. Let's talk a little bit about what we knew and uh, when we knew it and all that sort of stuff. So Wednesday of last week, <clears throat> I get a phone call from a friend that I've known a long time that is closely aligned with Albert and said, hey, I don't know if you know this. You probably do. And I didn't, to be honest. I didn't. John Cohen is a finalist for the Auburn AD job. And I thought immediately, this will never happen. This will never, ever happen. There's no point looking into it. There's no point reporting it. There's no point getting up in arms about it. It's not going to happen. And that's how I felt Wednesday. Then Thursday morning, I get a phone call from somebody on the Mississippi State side. It said, hey, Steve, I know you're, you're good friends with John. I know you like and respect John. There's a possibility he may leave us to go to Auburn. Now all of a sudden, you know, hey, wait, let's go. What's happening here? Now I'm beginning to understand that maybe my friend from Auburn not only had a good source, but maybe, maybe didn't even fully appreciate how far down the line this was. And so I was told Thursday that John was going to interview with Auburn officials. And our folks, or this one particular folk, felt that this was a situation that was pretty involved. So I text John. I guess you back up a second. They asked me if I would be willing to call John. And so I'm like, yeah. But, you know, how, how do you just call and just ask that sort of stuff? You know, and so... So I called John. We spoke for a while. We hadn't spoken in several days, but, um, you know, we spoke for a while and kind of got caught up on everything. And, you know, I guess about, I don't know, 20 minutes into the conversation, I'm like, hey, well, what do you think is going to happen at Auburn? And that's not one of those questions that is out of bounds between me and John because we'll talk at length at times about the SEC, kind of what's going on. And he'll, hey, what do you, he'll ask me, what do you think? What are you hearing about this? You know, so it's, it's not a situation where, that's a topic that would be out of bounds. And some of John's answers were a little bit, you know, constrained, I guess you could say. And it was a little bit unsettling to me. I thought, you know, hey, this is, uh, there's probably something to this. And so eventually I just kind of asked him, you know, hey, is this going to happen? And uh, he made it lead to maybe to believe it, it, it wasn't. Well, eventually it did. You know, it did happen. And so Saturday, you know, there was uh, all the discussion. And Saturday is a good time to leak information if you're in the Southeastern Conference because of the fact everybody's glued to their TV sets kind of watching college football. And so based on what I have heard, many of these leaks originated from the Auburn side. Now, you can assign motive however you choose to. But there was a lot of discussion, you know, that uh, this is all coming from Auburn. And I can tell you this, that in the time that I've known John, John is a, is a person that keeps it close to the vest. I can assure you John Cohen would have wanted that out there. 
especially while he's trying to make a decision. And so the reality of it is, is that, um, you know, it got out there. And then all of a sudden there's all these reports. Oh, it's done deal. You know, and, and I, I don't say that to be critical. Of, there's some people out there that I know, love, and respect. They thought they had it. They thought they had a good source on it. And it was a little bit premature. And then what happens is the first report gets out there, and then everybody parrots the first report. I can tell you on Saturday, it was not a done deal. On Sunday, it was not a done deal. On Monday morning, it was a done deal. It's that simple. So eventually, it worked out the way many people expected it to, and that's one of the things we talked about. People were asking me, you know, what do you think? Guys, I think he's going to end up going to Auburn. I think he's going to end up going to Auburn. And so people begin to ask, okay, well, 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 why? You know, John's one of our own. He wore the uniform as both a coach and a player and eventually took over as an administrator. And at the end of the day, the answer lies with John Cohen. You know, John knows his motivation you know, behind this. I can assure you there is no scandal. Uh, and contrary to one reporter, <laughs> uh, John was not being forced out. I know there are some people out there that have never liked John. There's some people out there that have, were always kind of critical of us hiring John as the AD. And they kind of, oh, yeah, this is what I've heard. I oh, didn't hear that. You read it. You read it, and the guy was absolutely wrong. I'm not even going to mention his name on my show. It's not worth the time and trouble, but I can tell you this. I can't begin to imagine walking into a press conference and preparing to ask uh, John Cohen a question after I've said some things about him that were false. You don't even know the guy. I don't have a relationship. And you're reporting things out there about his standing here at Mississippi State. John Cohen signed an extension, a four-year extension, which is the longest Mississippi law allows back in July. They gave him a raise from $950,000 to $1.1 million annually. We would not have done that if we did not have confidence in the direction of John Cohen. And I can assure you that some of the fan reaction is not truly indicative of John standing with Mississippi State University. And, of course, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. It's funny, too. Pardon the rant. There are a lot of people that are know-it-alls until there's time to know something, and then they know nothing. And then after things begin to kind of, you know, bubble up and leak out, oh, well, yeah, well, this is what I've heard. This, you know, you can't, you can't in any way look at that and take it with any, you know, credibility whatsoever. And so I share that with you because I think it's important you kind of understand the timeline. But it's important to kind of understand a couple things. And uh, it, it's never a good thing when we have an athletic director leave and then sometimes it's good to get new blood in, right? And so uh, let's take a kind of a measured approach to that. All right, the first thing that I would say, and probably the most critical thing that I would say is, you know, hey, John had some hires not work out. That's fair. I mean, that, I don't even know if that's really a matter of opinion. It's really kind of a statement of fact. John had some hires that he made that on paper looked to be good hires that didn't work out. The very first hire that he made was Andy Cannizzaro. And I'll submit to you, even to this day, that was a good hire at the time we made it. Not to mention it was John's first hire as your director of athletics. Andy Cannizzaro was considered to be the top recruiter in the country. He was a guy that had an incredible ability to scout and recruit players. 
He, in turn, brought Tanner Allen at Mississippi State. When he was at LSU, he had T.A. committed to LSU, brought him with him. And, of course, we rode T.A. and Rowdy and those guys to a national championship. And so, yeah, that, that was a part of it. Now, were there some personal failings with Andy? Absolutely there were. But they weren't things that you're going to pick up in a job interview. And, and I think in many respects there were a lot of people that have really pinned that on John unfairly. But let's also give John credit, too, is once there was a problem that was discovered, he acted expediently, he fired Andy, conducted a national search, interviewed some of the biggest names in college baseball. For a while there, we thought we were going to get Dan McDonald. We didn't. There were a handful of other guys that we interviewed, you know, some, you know, some names that you guys obviously know, and then we hired Chris Lamonis, who ultimately led us to a national championship. And so I think our hiring on the baseball side was very good. And there were many people, and I love to have this discussion. We talk about, you know, doing things the poor old state way. There were a lot of people that wanted us to just promote Gary Henderson from the interim coach to the full-time coach. Well, let's just give him a year and see what he does. Well, I think John had the foresight to realize, and of course I don't think anybody knows Gary Henderson better than John Cohen, that John – understood that this job required somebody different. He went out and got that. And had we done it, if we had conducted a Twitter poll after we go to Omaha that year, I would say the majority of our fans would have wanted us to retain Gary Henderson. We didn't do that. John let us, made two good hires, even though the first one didn't work out. And we won an AFL championship. You know, that's fair. On the basketball side of things, he inherited Ben Howland. And I think he give ben, gave Ben Howen more than enough time to be successful. More than enough time. And I think John made some decisions in the final couple of years here, you know, contractually, that allowed us to escape without having to write a huge check. And I think there's something to be said for that. And I, I think most of us, I think the overwhelming majority of our fan base, especially those that follow basketball closely, are extremely excited about Chris Chance, as well they should be. I think it's important to kind of understand, too. First basketball hire, hadn't coached a game yet. You know, we'll see that here in a week or so, right? On the women's side of things, and, and this is a real bone of contention with a lot of people, you know, the, you know a lot, there are a lot of people that don't know the facts about Vic Schaefer and, and John Cohen, and I'll, let me just say this, but in some respects, both of them are at fault, okay, that that relationship wasn't better. Right? Okay. There are a lot of people that still to this day absolutely love, love uh, Vic. And uh, Vic is an amazing person. And Vic's a guy whose values really kind of mirrored many of those at Mississippi State. So he was able to really cultivate and build a brand here that never truly existed. And things didn't work out. In the end, he likes to leave and go to Texas. And there are a lot of people, again, that are very critical of John for that. And then on top of that, the Nikki McCray Pinson hire didn't work out. There were many people, of course, that wanted us to retain Johnny Harris, who is now the, the head coach at Auburn. And if we're being fair about that, you know, Nikki McCray Pinson inherited a better situation than Johnny Harris did at Auburn. Nikki McCray Pinson goes 10 and 9 in year one. And there's a lot to that. I think some ways, you know, listen, Nikki made a bunch of mistakes, but uh, the circumstances with which she was having to operate with were not very good. But I think, I think everybody realized this was not going to work out about halfway through it. It's like, hey, we'll give her a year to kind of get it figured out, but 
she had some health concerns, obviously, and we wish her the best with that. But uh, the hire didn't work out. And Johnny Harris last year, just in case you're wondering, her first year at Auburn, 10 and 15. So won the same number of games. Now, that's not to say that she may not have done a better job at Mississippi State because sometimes I think we, we as fans sometimes get caught up in personalities. I love Johnny Harris. She's a tremendous person. But when you're hiring a coach, it's a principles before personalities deal. Did we really want to give the keys to this machine to a first-year head coach? Well, we go get Old Dominion's coach, and you could argue and say, yeah, Steve, but, you know, Nikki McCray-Penson had a great resume. And, again, on paper, it was a great hire. It didn't translate to the court, but it was a great hire. Nikki McCray-Penson was terminated. I term, that's not fair. She resigned due to some health concerns. I'm completely wrong in that respect. And then Doug Novak becomes the interim coach. And left to many of our fans, we would have promoted Doug Novak, which is kind of the old Mississippi State way of doing things. And you know what, Doug, I think, did a great job last year, had a depleted roster, and those ladies played hard for him every single night. Got some big things going, for sure. But Doug Novak was a D3 men's coach. And so... Instead, we go out and get Sam Purcell. And, I, and, again, many of you have not been around Sam, but I think you're going to be excited about him when you do. I mean, his, his energy is unmatched. He loves women's basketball. He's a relentless recruiter. And I think in hindsight, when we look at this a couple of years from now, I think when you look at what Chris Jans builds and what Sam Purcell builds, I think we're going to look back and say those are probably two of the better hires of the John Cohen era. At this point, it's a to-be-determined. To on the football side of things, it's much different. And here's the thing, too. Julie Darty had a big season last year, set some historic highs, our soccer team doing exceptionally well. But those don't really move the needle within the fan base. You may, you may retweet it, right, or you may comment on Facebook, but more times than not, you're not going to attend a game. You're not going to watch it on TV. And that's unfortunate, but that's the reality of it. People are judged – Athletic directors are judged by the quality of their football hires. Good, bad, or indifferent, fair or unfair, that's the way things go. You're judged on your football hires. And, of course, Dan Mullen was here. And a lot of people, oh, well, you know, John let Dan get away. Guys, Dan had a foot out the door today he got here. I remember all of you wearing your Dan the Man shirts. We were thinking, you know what, if he's gone in a few years, that means we've had a good few years of football. We got nine years out of Dan, more good than bad. And Dan notified John Cohen and Dr. Keenum midway through the season that year that he was going to take another opportunity. So we had some lead time, which is one of the reasons we were able to act as quickly as we did. We hired Jim Moorhead. Again, a great hire on paper. Wasn't a great hire once he got here. And Joe is a great guy. And it's like I read sometimes some people say, oh, you know, Joe wasn't a good fit. I don't think – I think Joe was a great fit personally. You know, he's a guy from a blue-collar area, not to mention – you know, he grew up, uh, you know, not too far from the hometown of another guy that you guys know pretty well, another Yankee, you know, named Nick Saban. You know, so I don't think, you know, geography was a factor in any of this. I think Joe just wasn't quite ready for a Power 5 job. It's one thing to be the OC. It's nothing to be a head coach. I think we were trying to get the next Dan Mullen, and we failed. We did. But let's give John a little credit here. Rather than let this thing linger on for three or four seasons, went ahead and made the decision to 
to make a change. And we fired a guy that won back-to-back Ag Bowls and went to back-to-back bowl games. That's never happened in school history, in case you're wondering. We've never fired a guy that won back-to-back Ag Bowls in our history. Kind of let that sink in for a second. And so, yeah, sometimes I think maybe it took John a couple swings to make good, solid contact, but he goes out and he hires Mike Leach. Now, now listen, there's some people that have varying opinions about Mike Leach, but the reality of it is, is when John went and hired him, he did something that we don't ordinarily do. We generally go get a coordinator. We, you know, we get the up-and-comer. We don't always go get the proven coach. You know, Emery Ballard was out of coaching when we hired him. Rocky Falker, you know, one of our most beloved sons, was the youngest head football coach in the country at the time. So we go out and get the established Power 5 guy. And so if nothing else, no matter how this Mike Leach era ends, and I still believe that uh, you know, we get a chance to have a good November, take a step forward. We've left some, some meat on the bone, shall we say, but I, I still believe in this staff. I may be in the minority, but I, I, I do. But I commend John for at least let's, let's try to change the narrative a little bit about Mississippi State's hiring practices rather than just go get the up-and-comer or go get the coordinator. Let's go get the proven guy. And so we did. And so I commend John for that, no matter how this thing works out. But the reality of the situation is, is that, you know, John made some hires that um, having to hire a new employee sometimes is the absolute worst, right? We've all been there. If you've got your own small business, I mean, you're, you're trusting your livelihood. You're trusting your baby, your blood, sweat, and tears with somebody perhaps you don't know very well. That's why you got to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. How cool is that? There have been times in the past I've made hiring decisions when I was desperate for an employee. It's been nice to have had a partner to help me screen through some of this and make sure that I get people that fit the specific skill set I'm looking for. It's so easy to go make a free ad today at LinkedIn. Maybe you should. And then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it much easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to actually meet, interview, and ultimately hire. It's important to have the right team. It's why every small business rates LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering Quality hires versus your leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster than ever before. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash boneyard. That's linkedin.com slash boneyard to post your job for free. Some terms and conditions may apply. The batting average wasn't great. Now let's, not, let's also not be you know remiss by discussing Back-to-back years, as John Cohen is our director of athletics, we set school records for a number of teams in postseason. And for a stretch there, we were good at everything. Set a school record for a number of athletic programs in the postseason. Back-to-back years at Mississippi State. Now, some of that gets lost in the discussion you know, that, hey, well, you know, Mike Leach loses that game to Kentucky, and it's incredible how things changed, right? A lot changed. 
Everybody was all excited, you know, and I think sometimes, too, if we win that Kentucky game, you know, how are our athletic department programs looked at right now? And so I share that with you, I guess, to kind of frame it up. I am appreciative of John Cohen's contributions to Mississippi State. Admire his passion for Mississippi State, his work ethic, and I appreciate everything that he did. But John's not here anymore. John will always be my friend, but the reality of it is, is my loyalty is to Mississippi State, not to an individual, not to a coach. I'm not going to pack up and move and go cover Auburn or anything like that. I'll still stay in contact and that sort of stuff. But you know what? There's a new athletic director coming in. And, uh, you know, we'll have to try to build some relationships there. But, uh, you know, I, I get to there. There have been a lot of fence sitters about John. Because in the very beginning, like, you know, that whole search, and I'm going to give you a little background on that too, because I think it's important that um, maybe the truth be told. And a lot of people feel like, oh, it's behind us, who cares? But a lot of people are like, oh, it was a sham of a search. You know, listen, that had nothing to do with John. John didn't hire himself. John wanted the job. He pursued the job. He wanted to be in administration. He won the SEC championship in baseball in 2016. We were top eight national seed for the first time in school history. If you're going to get out, that's probably a good time to get out. And he did. But John had to go through the process, too. And give Mike Bonner some credit. I know who his source was, and I will not reveal it here on the air. He was well-sourced. And to be honest with you, it was a bit of a risk because the search was still ongoing. And now there were some candidates that elected not to interview because it's like, hey, this feels like a dog and pony show. If you already have your guy, why would I fly all the way across the country and come interview with you, right? I think it's important to kind of understand that too. And, like, and, and people have been critical of John. John did not run the search. I talked to somebody who was involved in the search that told me the three finalists were John Cohen, Someone from the Big Ten and someone from the Pac-12. Those were the three finalists. I won't mention their names. It's not important. And John goes in and he puts on a presentation of how he's going to handle certain things and how we're going to allocate resources for this and how he's going to manage his coaches. And he went around before his interview and he talked to all of the non-revenue producing sports coaches to ask them, what do you need? You tell me what you need. And so John carried some support for them. And then, of course, you know, you look at how our women's programs have have kind of grown under John Cohen's leadership, I think you can look at that and say, hey, this is, we're doing some things we've never done before. Right? <laughs> Played for an AFL championship in women's basketball. Hosted a Super Regional for the first time in softball history because we elected to promote from within Samantha Ricketts. And so, yeah, we, we've done some things that are historic. And I think it's important to kind of frame that up and, you know, understand there's a little more to it than just football. But ultimately, everybody is judged by their football hires. And at a place like Mississippi State, your baseball hire. And, again, a lot of our fans have kind of grown apathetic about basketball. But I think you're going to look back a few years and say, you know what, hey, John did a good job here. I think right now people, after both searches ended, people were like, you know what, hey, we, these searches went really well. We, we, the end result was great. Uh, but again, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, were never really fully on board with John. And that's unfortunate. Uh, people have their own reasons, I guess. But the reality of it is, is again, it's now behind us. 
John's not here anymore. And so my hope is, my hope is that all of us can now unite behind whoever the new director of athletics is. We're never all going to agree on who it should be. A lot of names out there. We put up a uh, hot board today. Mike Nemeth is kind of uh, watching that for us. We had that ready to go. Had Dave Murray get a story together on Saturday so we could be prepared for this announcement. And, of course, the hot board's ready, too. The hot board's VIP. The story's not. But I think it's important for us to kind of understand, too. It's like no matter our opinions on John Cohen, we can be appreciative of the fact that he did some great things when he was here. And we can also look ahead and say, you know what, hey, maybe the next individual can take us to some new heights. It's okay to let John leave in peace. And I know some people are are reluctant to do that. I've seen some people on social media and even our own message boards that have said some things. You know, it's like it all means the same thing. You know, he's gone. And, of course, it appears the first order of business was to fire Brian Harson. It's uh, it's crazy how life works. But uh, life comes at you fast, Brian. It really does. He gets fired in less games than Jim Moorhead did. Pretty crazy type stuff. Um, but again, I think, you know, now let's, let's put aside our differences and let's come together as one family. And I think it's important for everybody to turn up this weekend, come to Davis Wade Stadium, and maybe you haven't heard, but now the Georgia game is going to be a 6 p.m. too. So we're going to get nighttime football again at Davis Wade Stadium. And so let's turn out this weekend. Many of you will be uh, really, really motivated to see State beat Auburn, you know, by a substantial amount. I think the line opened at 10.5, and last time I looked it was already 13 after the announcement of Harson's termination. So the line is growing in favor of Mississippi State. At the end of the day, I don't really care about that. I just want to go win a game. And that's what we got to have. You win this one, you win East Tennessee State, you're 7-4 and four going into the Golden Egg, in my estimation. I don't think you're beating Georgia. After watching Georgia play this weekend, you see how fast they and athletic they are on defense. Ugh. But a lot of people wonder, so what's John Cohen going to do this weekend? That'll be awfully interesting, right? Does he come? Does, does he attend the game? I, I don't think John would care. But, you know, maybe Auburn officials, you know, do the optics of the whole thing, may say, hey, John, let's make the effective date Monday. I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, but I suspect that uh, there could be some people that would say some negative things, but there are a lot of great Mississippi State people that would be like, hey, it's over with now. Hey, John, thanks for your contributions. Good luck in your future endeavors, right? Uh, but there are other people out there that, you know, you know, might consider John to be a traitor and that kind of stuff, and, and that's, the thing, that's the thing Scott Strickland dealt with and, and still deals with in some respects. But um, it all means the same thing is gone. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of the Bulldog Athletic Directors here a little bit later in the show. Before we do, let's do our top 10 list brought to you as always by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair is my friend, your friend. He is a friend in the mortgage industry. There's a lot going on, a lot going on when it comes to interest rates and things like that. And it's good to have somebody that understands how all of that works. That's Blair Chandler. Visit him at his own website, CloseWithBlair.com, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com, and find out more about the services that he and his company offer. 
He works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction in mortgage loan origination. Top 1% close ratio, ratio in back-to-back years. You need a closer. You got one in Blair. Here's his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And if you mention to Blair that you heard about him on the boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal, and that's about a $500 value. Okay, so what would be our theme today? I reached out to Roy, and Roy said, how about changes? So that's what we're going to do. we got top 10 lists about changes. Throw in a honorable mention, a little bit of a hat tip to our boys in Blackstone Cherry, the song Change. We didn't make our top 10, but I, I wanted to get that out there, Change. And then my youngest said, what about Man in the Mirror from Michael Jackson? That, that's not exactly the kind of change I was talking about as far as like internal or personal change. I do love that song. That didn't make our list, though. So honorable mention in honor of my son, Ian, who works at Bulldogger Company now, um, for our honorable mention. So this is a very diverse list. We have some R&B. We have some rap. We have some metal. We have some acoustic stuff. We got a little bit of everything. So number 10, Mississippi's own Sam Cooke. If you've not watched that documentary, I think it's called The Two Deaths of Sam Cooke. I think that's right, or The Two Killings of Sam Cooke. I would encourage you to watch it. Very entertaining and an incredible soulful voice. From Mississippi, got his big break though in Chicago. A change is going to come from Sam Cooke. That is almost like a hymn. Everybody knows that song. Uh, and, and maybe you didn't know who sang it, but you've heard the song a million times. It's been a bunch of movies. It's one of, the, one of those, those great songs from an incredible era where there was real change in America. A change is going to come from Sam Cooke, number 10. Number nine, changing the genres entirely. And arguably the only ballad that Black Sabbath wrote is Changes. If you're unfamiliar with that song, listen to it. It's amazing. Shows a different side of Ozzy, for sure. Changes from Black Sabbath, number nine. Number eight, perhaps America's greatest folk singer of all time is Bob Dylan. The times they are a-changing. He's more of a lyricist and a poet than he is a singer. I know a lot of people just you know, kind of saw him for what he was, but at the end of the day, he's just a blue-collar guy singing about life. Number seven, Sheryl Crow. And you know, the jury is still out. Since we're talking about change, she has a song, A Change, subtitled, Would Do You Good. You know, I don't know if this is a good thing for Mississippi State or not. I mean, that, that remains to be seen, you know, the changing of athletic directors. And, of course, we're not changing on our terms. We didn't fire John Cohen. But I believe, you know, sometimes you get somebody in and kind of, you know, there are other people around, too, like your subordinates at times that get a little comfortable, right? So sometimes you bring in somebody different, and all of a sudden, you know, you get people, you know, kind of renewed focus. Number six, I remember that this is one of those songs from my lifetime that uh, I don't know that people today understand how important the context is here. It's the song Wind of Change from the Scorpions. And it was written in the moments of the Berlin Wall coming down that separated East and West Germany. And then we had all of the, basically communism was failing around the world. 
the Scorpions are a German band, and uh, Klaus Meine was watching all of this and immediately wanted to use the emotions that were stirring up in his soul and set them to music. And that's what became Wind of Change. I get chills even talking about it. It's, just, it's an incredible moment in world history, and it's captured by somebody that uh, was very close to it. So Wind of Change. Number five, this is going from the, the Unplugged albums. They were so wonderful for a while. It got to be a little bit stale after a while because they overdid it. But it's Eric Clapton's Unplugged performance of Change the World, a song that was co-written by Babyface. And I think on the radio edit version, Babyface actually sings back up. So Change the World from Eric Clapton. Now, the next four songs are all titled the same. They're not the same song. They're just, I guess it's not technically true. I guess our number one one doesn't have an S. Number four, we couldn't do a list of songs about change without David Bowie's changes. For many people, that is his shining moment. And David Bowie's a guy that uh, was an incredible songwriter and a guy that composition-wise was kind of on a different level. You know, the Ziggy Stardust days, he's reinvented himself multiple times. But David Bowie, an incredible performer of my lifetime, changes David Bowie. Number three, now this is a deep cut and it's my list, right? It's my show, my list. It's the song Changes from the rock band Tesla off the uh, Mechanical Resonance album, that incredible debut album for them. Changes is a bit of a deep track on this album, but it absolutely rocks. If you don't know it, you should. That's one of the reasons we do these lists, kind of introduce you guys to new music. And I've had many people that have reached out recently, because we had some thread over on Gene's page, and some people are like, I don't really care for the top 10 list, or I fast forward through it. And that's fine. That's fine. But other people have said, dude, I have learned about so many bands that I would never would have heard of. And I recently I had multiple people, I think it was four or five people that hit me up about Taproot, and all of them were like, how did I miss this band? They're great, and they are. And so I enjoy sharing the gift of music with you. So for you young bucks, it may be all you know from Tesla is Signs or Love Song. Go listen to Changes from Tesla. Go that, listen to those first two albums from Tesla. It'll put some hair on your chest. All right, number two. Again, it's my list. We'll do what we want. It's the great song from Tupac Shakur that was basically a sampling of uh, Bruce Hornsby. The song changes. Even today when I hear that, it stirs up some emotion in me, you know, because it's like it kind of points out a lot of the issues in American society in many respects. But um, I thought the delivery of this was amazing when it happened. The video was incredible. You can still find it on YouTube. But changes from Tupac. Anytime we can work Tupac into the show, it's a good day. Number one, though, for me, and because I am a Mississippian, born and raised in Mississippi, I live here. I, move, I left and moved back because I love all of you. And I wanted to be close to Mississippi State and to my Mississippi family. And even though I'm closer to them, I, I see them about as often as I used to. But it's the song Change from Blind Melon. There are a lot of songs at different points in your life that kind of become anthemic for you. This is one of those ones for me. I was in the infancy of my recovery when Blind Melon hit the scenes. And this song, the very first time I, you know, you, I played through the album, of course, like everybody else, I had to go run out and buy it because of no rain. And so you sit down, you listen to the rest of it. This is the one that immediately stuck out to me. 
And some of you feel the same way, I know. Shannon Hoon wrote this song. It is a masterpiece of a song. And, you know, I, I don't know, you know, how this is going to turn out for us. Nobody really does. We all have varying opinions. You know, there are some people that are ready to burn the White House down today, right? I mean, just in, that's just kind of how they live their lives. You know, there are other people that are like, ah, you know, somebody else will do it. But the song Change, I thought was kind of appropriate uh, for this moment. Because this is about what's best for Mississippi State moving forward. That's the reality of life for us, is our loyalty, our support is to this incredible institution, to its coaches, its student-athletes, its administrators, professors. There are a lot of people that make Mississippi State great that you'll never know their names, you'll never meet them, you never have a chance to shake their hands, but the athletics is a big part of our branding, a big part of our recruiting efforts, not just for athletics, but for academics. You, know, you want to be able to give a good student experience to everybody, whether they're an athlete or not. But part of that is being able to go out there and go to games and see your team win. So change from Blind Melon, number one on today's top ten. Be sure and check them out, this list. And uh, thanks, as always, to Roy, who puts these things together on Spotify for us. And uh, if you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. We've had a, a couple of suggestions here as of late, and then we've kind of had to push some things around. I would say, we, I don't know, maybe we got like 30, 30 or so we hadn't got to. But you may send me something that I like better than what we have in the, you know, kind of in the chamber. We can always recalibrate there and kind of get after that. But uh, I got some other things we're going to talk about uh, after the break. But again, thanks as always for your support of the top 10. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Campus Bookmart. You'll love Campus Bookmart if you don't already. It is a love affair that will uh, be very rewarding for you. Best selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the known universe. Go by and check them out. Next time you're in Starkville, you'll be glad you did. The Bully Shop, now completely renovated, it's all upstairs, which has enabled them to expand their selection of Mississippi State merch. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you the phrase, it pays. That's BSR. And you know what it stands for? Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over $75. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Be sure to check them out today. All right, we didn't play this past weekend. It feels like we did. But uh, we didn't. And, and the little bit of football I got to see, there wasn't a lot of very entertaining games until late. You know, that Ole Miss A&M game was pretty good. But uh, – we had some games that were really kind of decided early on. Arkansas versus Mississippi State's next opponent, Auburn, on the plains at Auburn. Arkansas goes in, takes care of business, 41-27. I thought this would be a competitive game for a while, and it really was for a half, but it never felt like Auburn had control of the game. Arkansas gets up to a 7-3 lead, and it's 17-13 at the break, and from there it was really all Arkansas until Auburn scored kind of a garbage touchdown there. 41-27 is your final. And again, I think the Hogs are about to kind of put some things together. You know, one of the things that I worry about, and we'll preview Auburn on Wednesday show, is Robbie Ashford's scrambling ability. He was 24 of 33 passing for 285 yards and a touchdown. And then he ran for 87 yards, a long of 34. 
And then you factor in Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter in there. And, you know, this could be an offensive system that perhaps gives Mississippi State a little bit of trouble. I think you got to stop the run. But what happens on third and long when Ashford tucks it and goes? we got to get that guy on the ground. K.J. with a good game, 16-24 for 234 yards and a touchdown. And then he ran 10 times for 45 yards and a couple touchdowns too. And again, K.J. Jefferson is the straw that stirs the drink uh, for Arkansas. But Rocket Sanders, 171 yards rushing. That guy's a star. I don't know that he gets enough respect, to be quite honest with you. Even with the guarding numbers he's putting up, I think Arkansas, because of the fact that maybe they've underachieved a little bit this year so far, I think they'll finish about what we expected. Rocket Sanders deserves to be one of your first-team running backs. I don't think there's much question. And then Landers, four grabs for 115 yards for Arkansas. A big one, 56 there that set up a touchdown. So good game for Arkansas, to say the least. And you start looking at you know how this thing plays out here. Arkansas now 5-3, and 2-3 three, and three in the league. State still a good chance to finish ahead of them in the bowl pecking order. But Arkansas, again, fixing to get hot here late. State needs to be able to, to kind of maintain its pace and stay ahead of those guys. Georgia, 42-20 winners, and the, the line on this game ended up being, you know, guess what, 22. They cover. I, was, I picked Florida to cover. I thought Georgia win, Florida would cover. So I was really rooting for Florida to, to get some points there at the end. They don't. That last uh, few plays for Florida were just completely ridiculous. But uh, Florida now 4-4 four and four on the year and 1-4 and four in the league. Ugh. Georgia 8-0, 5-0, still number one in the SEC. It's a 28-3 game at the half. Florida makes a game of it there in the third, and I thought, hey, maybe they've got a chance to cover here. They outscore them by 10, 17-7 there in the third quarter, and then Georgia, you know, the touchdown late to ensure that they cover. But uh, big game, obviously, for Georgia. And I'll be honest with you, I think this is the quietest number one team that we've seen in recent years. Nobody's talking about them. They always thought, well, there's this upset and that upset and this team could challenge. But nobody's really talking about Georgia. They're just kind of like a, you know, water moccasin, you know, kind of lurking in the reeds there. It's a great team. Richardson, 18 of 37 for 271 yards and a touchdown. ATN runs 11 times for 53 and has the score there late. Stetson Bennett, just 19 of 38 for 316 yards and threw a couple of picks. Edwards runs for 106, McIntosh for 90, and then they get 35. Nice, efficient day from him, averaging just four yards, right at four yards a carry. So you add those three in, in addition to Stetson Bennett, that's a running game that can give you some trouble. Bennett didn't run it a whole lot against Florida. It didn't have to. Big tight end Bowers may be the uh, top tight end in the SEC, five grabs for 154 yards, one touchdown. That's a matchup problem for us right there. It really is. It really is. All right, Missouri goes on the road with the upset. South Carolina riding high. We talked about what was in front of them. They don't capitalize, and that's the thing that you have sometimes with a kind of an immature team is they have some measure of success and they can't handle prosperity. Missouri fighting for their season, now 4-4, four and 2-3 four, and three in the league. They take that one from the Gamecocks. South Carolina now 5-3. and three. This was a 17-0 ball game. South Carolina finally gets into it, and then in the second half, it's a defensive slugfest that Missouri basically makes a, a game of field goals. They win 23-10. to 
Pretty crazy how it all worked out, to be quite honest with you. Spencer Rattler, 20 of 30 for 171 yards and a pick. He ran eight times and lost two yards. So not a great game for him. Cook for Missouri, who has been very much up and down, 17 of 26 for 224 yards, but also ran 11 times for 53, and I thought that his running ability really kept South Carolina in trouble. Pretty incredible. Marshawn Lloyd, one of the better running backs in the league, held at his 30 yards for South Carolina. You never know. You never know. This one you think you got it figured out, you never know. And then I thought Kentucky would make a game of it, and Tennessee would ultimately win that game without any trouble late. Kentucky does nothing in this game. 44-6. to six. It was 7-6 after one, and from there it was all volunteers, which sets up a huge game we'll talk about a little bit later in the week. But uh, they hit the big pass over to Jalen Hyatt, and Rodriguez scores, and then they don't convert the extra point. And it, at that point, the game, for all intents and purposes, was over. Hendon Hooker with a big game for them. A big, big game. 19-25, 245 yards, three touchdown passes, and he ran for 23 yards in addition to that. Uh, Jabari Small, a guy, uh, you know, just a great weapon for them. 21 carries for 78 yards, but really kind of kept them off balance, but only a long of 10. So it's five yards here, four yards there. Pretty, inc- pretty impressive. Offensive showing, and this offense is really rolling. Kentucky will have a 16 of 27 for 98 yards and three picks. Here's the issue. Like, I think back to our game, Tennessee did what we wanted to do. Tennessee stopped the run and put the game in Will Levis's lap, and he couldn't win the game. But because of the fact that we couldn't stop the run, Levis is able to kind of do some play action stuff, and it's a little more of a measured approach there. But Rodriguez, just 15 carries for 64 yards. And because of the fact Tennessee got some separation, it really kind of neutralized the Kentucky rushing game. You know, when they're getting five, six, seven yards a carry, why would you ever throw the football? But it's, when it's a 27-6 to six game at the half, you kind of got to throw the running game out the window a little bit. But, uh, you know, big win for Tennessee, you know, and, again, huge, huge game coming up with Georgia. Final game of the night, and it was a good game. I thought it was going to be a good game, and I thought A&M would find a way to win. But give Ole Miss some credit. We thought, really, if, if A&M could just survive that first quarter. Because Lane Kiffin, no matter what you think about him, does a great job scripting up the first couple drives. And they go right down and score. It's 7 nothing, And then A&M with the freshman quarterback – Comes back and has a 14-7 lead after one. They hold Ole Miss to a field goal in the second quarter. So you get to the break and it's 14-10. And now you're thinking the way that Ole Miss has struggled to score in the second half, A&M's got a chance. Got some confidence here. Ole Miss comes right out third quarter, takes the lead. And from that, it was really a game that Ole Miss controlled. It really was. 24-14, when they went up two scores, you kind of knew there had to be some urgency with A&M. A&M tries to make a game of it. They they cut it to a field goal with nine minutes to go. And then Judkins, who's had an amazing year for Ole Miss, a big part of that offensive scheme, goes right down and with, you know, not much time to go. I guess it was around five minutes to go. It's a ten-point game. 
A&M scores late to make it 31-28, and then get they get the ball back and have a chance and made a mistake, not fair catching that punt, and it rolls what inside the 10, and now you've got to have Wegman, a freshman, making his first start, go out there and try to make some things happen. But to be fair to the kid, he was outstanding, 28-44, 338 yards, four touchdowns, but he did have some big misses. There were some times he was throwing the ball well behind receivers. Devin Achain, 138 yards, and he had right at 100 yards right after the first quarter. And then the Ole Miss defense makes some adjustments, does a good job. And really, when you look at what they did, the rushing numbers in the second half, the Ole Miss defense really took over. Uh, Judkins for Ole Miss, 205 yards. 34 carries, 205 yards. Then Dart runs for 95. Evans, who was back, doesn't look to be 100%, but effective, 8 for 75. And then Wade, the receiver, they, they give him the end around a couple times to keep you honest, had, uh, ran for a, a dozen yards. And, of course, they, they faked the punt down there. A lot of people were all excited about that. When Mike Leach does it, it's stupid. When Lane Kiffin does it, it's great. You know, that's it's interesting how that works. But, uh, again, big game for Ole Miss running the football. Really lined up and just kind of ran at will. Huge, huge game for them. And that's really the key you know, for Ole Miss. And, again, give Lane Kiffin some credit. They have basically innovated this offense and built it around the personnel available to them. You hear about that a lot. I think maybe we need to appreciate the fact Lane Kiffin's pretty good. A lot of discussion today. I think Brandon Marcello put out that Lane Kiffin appears to be the top target for Auburn. I don't know that I buy that, to be quite honest with you. I, I, I don't know that I buy that. I think a lot of that is just agent talk. I think us Jimmy Sexton's people working hard to get uh, – to get a new deal for Lane Kiffin. I, I, I don't think Auburn hires Lane Kiffin. I, I, I don't. I really, I really don't. Now, I know a lot of their people want Lane Kiffin, and I think Lane Kiffin would win at Auburn. But I just don't know that they're able to pull this off. Well, you know, we'll see. I, just, I will be surprised if that happened. Let's take a quick peek ahead at next week and kind of take a look and see what we're dealing with. So Kentucky is our 11 a.m. game. Kentucky is at Missouri. That could be interesting. Uh, Florida is at A&M, and A&M is favored pretty pretty well in this game. That's also an 11 a.m. kick. Then you've got the great one, Tennessee at Georgia. That's your CBS game. And at the same time that one's going on is Arkansas will host the Liberty Flames, who are now ranked 23rd in the poll. And no matter what you think about Hugh Freeze, the guy can coach some offensive football. I just don't know if they can match up athletically. But – Liberty is seven and one. Seven and one. Say what you want about Hugh Freeze. The guy can coach offensive football. And the, the night game, 6 p.m. kick, Alabama at LSU. This game could decide the SEC West. Of course, Ole Miss will have some things to say about that. The Rebels are off this week. The winner of this Alabama LSU game has a chance to really take control of the division. LSU already has the win over Ole Miss, so they, you know, they, they would hold the tiebreaker. And then, of course, Alabama will play Ole Miss next week. So Alabama wins this one, beats Ole Miss. They control their own destiny, right? And at this point, Alabama still does. But uh, this Alabama-LSU game has been the most watched game in the SEC and one of the top games nationally for like three or four years running. And you need that to continue. Auburn, of course, at Mississippi State. We'll talk a whole lot more about that game on Wednesday. And then South Carolina is at Vanderbilt. You know, and South Carolina's got to look to rebound. But they should be able to handle Vanderbilt. I think we would all agree with that. A quick look at the standings. 
as it stands today. Of course, Georgia, 5-0 in the league. Tennessee, 4-0 in the league. Kentucky, 2-3. Missouri, 2-3. South Carolina, 2-3. Florida, 1-4. Vandy, 0-4. I honestly thought Florida would be a little bit better. Just my personal opinion. Thought they'd be a little bit better. Tennessee, I thought they'd be really good. They're great. Gonna be a huge game. Huge game. Whoever wins this weekend is winning the East. I don't think I really think there's any question about that. Looking at the West, Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, all four and one. So tied atop the SEC West with uh, four games left to play, or four weeks left. And Ole Miss a bye week this week, so the Rebels have just three games left to play. Best position they've been in a long time in the West. Uh, Mississippi State two and three. Arkansas two and three, Auburn one and four, A and M one and four. And yeah, you know, the thing that I look at with this Texas A and M thing, it's like we all knew, you know, that that uh, Auburn was going to really be, you know, be challenged this year. A and M to me is the biggest surprise. It really is three and five overall and one and four in the league. So you start looking at this. Okay, they have four games left. They've got to win three of the last four to be bowl eligible. Let's take a look at that. They host Florida. That's a toss-up game. They're at Auburn. They should win that game. They host UMass. They should win that game. Then they host LSU. So if they don't win this weekend, you begin to ask yourself, are they capable of making a bowl game? You got to win three of the last four. The three of them are at home. And the one road game is at Auburn, a team that just fired their coach. A&M is going to have to struggle to get to a bowl game. And again, it's not like they're just playing some upstart teams. Florida has struggled this year, but Florida has talent. Auburn has talent. They don't have as much as they normally do, but they have some talent. And then, of course, LSU, who could, could be playing for a chance to play in Atlanta. You'll get a mo- very motivated LSU team, I believe, in that ball game. And so you start beginning to do the math here and you begin to realize, you know, you could have two teams in the West not make a bowl game. Alabama and A&M. Excuse me, Auburn and A&M. And you know Vanderbilt's not going to make it. And you feel like Missouri's not going to make it. So you start running down the bowl tie-ins here. You know, we should have 10 bowl eligible teams. But there's no guarantee that Florida makes it either. they got to find a way to win two of the last four two just to be bowl eligible. They get Vanderbilt, so that's one for sure. But, you know, they go to A&M. It's never easy to win on the road in the SEC. They host South Carolina, and you never know what you're going to get from Beamer Ball, and then they're at Florida State. So, yeah, you look at it and say, yeah, they, they, they actually have a chance to win all four of those games, and they should have a gimme at Vanderbilt. But you begin to you know do the math here, and you begin to think, you know, this Florida team is going to have to play well. There's a lot left to figure out. When it comes to the bowl pecking order, we, we can't really project right now because there's a lot of football out to be played. But uh, it's going to be awfully interesting. Awfully interesting. It's just amazing to me when I look at this and it's like, you know, we begin of the year, everybody thinks I got a chance. You know, I think the only team we really thought would be out of contention for a ball game in the West would be Auburn. And that, that just feels weird to say, doesn't it? You think, well, maybe they'll figure it out and get to six and six. And, you know, they're three and five, too. They fired their coach. They've hired a new athletic director in John Cohen, but you begin to look at this right now, and, you know, the, the season in many respects 
you know, boils down to these next couple ball games. What chance do you give Auburn to beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa the last game of the year? All right, so let's just go ahead and put that in the loss column. So you got to find a way to win all three of these other games to get Bo eligible. That's at Mississippi State against A&M and then Western Kentucky at home. All right, so you should get Western Kentucky. But, I mean, again, a losing season, while that was expected, is still a weird thing to talk about at Auburn. And they lost the ball game last year. They get the Birmingham Bowl and then lose the game. So, you know, Brian Harson, that's going to be a very forgettable tenure at Auburn. I don't think there's any question about it. But I think you feel really confident about your, uh, you know, your other five teams in the West making a ball game. And I guess conceivably you could have, you know, three teams in the East miss. You know, it's possible because you got, you know, Vanderbilt's three and five, Florida's four and four, Missouri's four and four. And I don't, I don't see a lot of hope for Missouri to get to six, but um, we can talk about that a little bit later in the week. But uh, you know, it's beginning to kind of come in here and you begin to think about what state's place in the pecking order. State just needs to win games. Could you get to eight? Yeah, you can. You can, but it's going to take a real, a real big effort. I think seven is probably a certainty. But and, and to, to me, with what we have bringing back, I think seven and five is a disappointment. I think most of us would agree with that to have the same record as we had a year ago when we were an experienced team and bring a lot back and one of the most experienced teams in the Southeastern Conference, to be 7-5 and five would be a disappointment. You win eight and you get the egg back, you're feeling a whole lot better about life. But first things first, State needs to go out and blast Auburn this weekend. And I don't mean go win a ball game 23-17. I think in order for this fan base to feel a little bit better about itself after what's happened, I think you got to go out there and really, really, really lay it on these guys. I think you absolutely have to. And, you know, how they're going to play and how motivated they're going to be able to play, that, that remains to be seen. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, they fired the coaches. You know, it's we all we got, we all we need. They come back and they battle hard and sometimes win a game. And I think maybe the pressure of all this being off of them may be something that, that you know, that maybe helps them relax and play a little bit. Again, they've got a good running game. So I will not be the least bit surprised if this thing turns into a dogfight. I just don't know how, how motivated Auburn is going to be to go play a football game. You know, we'll see. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. Very easy to get to, turn off of 82 on 12. Just like going to campus, you've made that turn many, many times in your life. You've passed by that very first right, which is uh, Pat Station Road. You take that turn there, you go through the four-way stop, boom, there's Portico right there on your right. You can do a self-guided tour. Just go right through the neighborhood yourself. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. They've got a housing plan for just about any size family or growing family, whether it be your primary residence, your ballgame weekend retreat, your future retirement home. You want to be up here anyway. Maybe it's time you had a place in Starkville. Portico's got a plan for you. Reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan, 601-416-8075. Again, it's 601-416-8075. Brooks, of course, wore the M over S and helped us get to Omaha a couple times. This is a guy that's invested in Starkville, part of a great group of people that are bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two... Under development now, some of those homes are sold too. And then there's still an opportunity for you to pick a lot and pick a house plan too. If you need a custom build, they can help you. 
Brooks will have more information for you. And if your real estate agent's not discussing Portico with you, maybe it's time you ask why. Make Portico your next move. Okay, I've done some research. I know many of you enjoyed this. We're about to hire our 18th athletic director. And so a lot of people say, Steve, so what direction will we go here? What, what will we do? What direction will we go? And so I think you look historically. And so I, I went back. And guys, I've got the details on every athletic director in Mississippi State history. So our very first athletic director, Daniel Martin, was hired back in 1903. In 1902, he was the head football coach at Ole Miss. We hired him away, made him our head coach, our athletic director. He was here for six years. He was then succeeded by Fred Furman, who was, and back in those days, the head coach kind of ran the show. They were basically PE coaches, right? They were glorified PE coaches that uh, did a little bit of everything. But Fred Furman was a former Cornell player. Once his playing days were over, he went into coaching. Mississippi State hires him. He's here from 07 to 09. And then 1909, State hires Billy Chadwick. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it should. The lake outside of the Bryan Building on the Mississippi State campus is uh, Chadwick Lake. I wrote about Billy Chadwick ex- extensively. Uh, I believe that was in uh, Alpha Dogs. But Billy Chadwick is kind of a, a terrible story in many respects. Chadwick was fired for nothing, and it wasn't our decision. He was our athletic director, and, and back in those days, the athletic director was a football coach, baseball coach, basketball coach, cut the grass, ran the grounds crew, you know, cleaned off the equipment, did everything. But Billy Chadwick stayed here 21 years, and he was part of what was deemed the Bilbo Purge in the state of Mississippi. The Bilbo Purge was wrought about by former governor that they controlled the IHL board and he just wanted to throw his weight around. And he attempted to move Ole Miss from Oxford to Jackson, which would not have been a good thing for us, honestly. But the folks at Ole Miss fought and won and kept their campus in Oxford. But there were some people that got fired, you know, really for no reason other than the fact that Bilbo wanted to exert his own uh, authority. And Billy Chadwick was part of that. He got fired for nothing. And then he went to work as an insurance salesman, and uh, he was working a debit route. And one morning out near Raymond, Mississippi, he was hit by a log truck. And uh, they believe the driver of the log truck had gone to sleep. And he hits Billy Chadwick, and unfortunately, Billy Chadwick died. And so a very grateful Mississippi State family, at the time we were State College, named that lake after him. So you've been by there many times. Many of you go out there and get your cardio. You walk or run around the lake, and you never knew the story, why it's named after a guy named Chadwick. Now you know. And they didn't call him Billy. Everybody called him Chad. What's up, Chad? It's his nickname. The students called him Chad. The man that succeeded Billy Chadwick, I guess that um, in some respects, I guess, benefited from the purge was Duty Noble. Duty Noble was your athletic director, football coach, baseball coach, everything. From 1930 to 1934. And then Noble relinquished the AD role and continued to coach. And so we had no AD from 34 to 35. We just kind of ran it by committee. 
And then Major Raf Sassy was hired after uh, after a, a time at Army. I've written about him too in uh, Starkville ones. Ralph Sassy eventually was um, resigned his post as a coach, and they called it a nervous breakdown. But uh, my research, there was some alcoholism involved in this too. Uh, but Ralph Sassy resigned middle of the year, and we ended up winning the Egg Bowl that year, and the players uh, you know, said at the end that it was for, for Major Sassy. Ralph Sassy's also a guy, too, that basically demanded that we have a Bulldog on the sidelines, the first to really do that. Even though we had had Bulldogs before, we made it official. We wanted to have a real mascot, and he's the one that brought that. And the next year, Paul Barrows Parker, and it's somebody I don't know much about. Mike Nemeth and I did the research today, and, and, and Nemo is a guy during his time at Mississippi State identified Paul Barrows Parker. I've done extensive Google searching, can't find anything about him. Nemo did find that the fact that uh, there is a gentleman by the same name buried in Arlington National Cemetery, and the date seemed to match up, but there's no reference of him ever working in college athletics, so we don't know that it's him. But there's not a lot of Paul Barrows Parker out there. All right, after Parker leaves, Duty Noble resumes the post as AD and kind of did everything else. So it's the second time Duty Noble had been your athletic director, and he was from 1937 to 1959. From there, Wade Walker comes in as your head football coach and your athletic director. And a lot of these guys, again, were football coaches and ADs at the same time and then eventually became just athletic directors. And so Wade Walker from 59 to 66. Shortly thereafter, Charlie Shira. You know, we had the Shira football complex out there. One of the, if not mistaken, the first indoor practice facility in the Southeastern Conference is named after Charles Shira. So 1967 to 1976, he left us and eventually uh, went to be the D.C. at Texas. I mean, that's what he was before. He was a D.C. at Texas prior to us uh, hiring him to be our head football coach and A.D., Bob Tyler was our head football coach and then ultimately became the athletic director. He was your AD from 76 to 79. And then Carl Maddox becomes your athletic director from LSU. And uh, as they say, he was, quote, kicked upstairs at LSU. Now, the, what memory and legend has it that Carl Maddox was actually recommended by the Southeastern Conference as a guy to take over at Mississippi State. You know, we were in the middle of uh, going through an NCAA investigation, Carl Maddox comes in, and of course the track facility is named after him. And so he's your AD from 79 to 83, and then Charlie Scott there is from 83 to 85. Charlie Carr takes over 85 to 87. He showed up from North Carolina. He was a senior associate AD at North Carolina, and then eventually leaves and goes into the fundraising arm at East Carolina. And then Larry Templeton is promoted from within and is your athletic director from 87 to 2007. Greg Byrne replaced him in 2008 and was here until 2010. It seems like Greg was here longer. And I think a lot of that's because he was an associate AD under Larry prior to being promoted. Then Scott Strickland was your AD from 2010 to 2016. John Cohen, of course, replaced him and was your AD until today. So, those are all 17 of your athletic directors and again Duty Noble counts twice. What's interesting, and we put the hot board out today, and people are like, well, Steve, you got some in-house names on here. And yes, we do. Yes, we do. 
And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, the first thing let me say, I do not expect Mississippi State to promote from within. I, I don't. I'll be surprised if that happens. I would be. But we have promoted our last four athletic directors from within. Larry Templeton was on staff. Greg Byrne was on staff. John Strickland was on staff. John Cohen on staff. Now, not all these are Mark Keenum hires. Of course, Greg Byrne was elevated to the athletic director position by Doc Fogelsong. So you go back and you look, what, what does history tell us? Well, Daniel Martin came from outside. Fred Furman came from outside. Billy Chadwick came from outside. Duty Noble, the first in-house promotion at Mississippi State. Then we went out and hired Ralph Sassy away. He, was at, he had just left Army. Don't know much about Parker, but from there, like Duty Noble resumed his position. That's an in-house deal. Wade Walker was already the football coach. Then he's an in-house deal. Charles Shira shows up from Texas. Bob Tyler, of course, your football coach, and he's your AD. So when you begin to look here, historically, what we have done is promote from within. Now you can say, well, Steve, you know what happened in 1900 really has no bearing on today, and that's true. But back in those days, being the athletic director really wasn't a big deal. Really wasn't a big thing. It was just basically somebody that ran practice and organized the practice facilities and that sort of stuff. We, we didn't, it wasn't big business yet. It's big business now. And so what I suspect will happen, I think Mark Keenum will follow a similar path in one respect. I think he hires somebody that he is comfortable with. He hires somebody he has a pre-existing relationship with. And again, doing the math here, five of the last six athletic directors at Mississippi State promoted from within. Five of the last six. The, the lone exception was Charlie Carr. That's it. And so, you know, the best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. Well, that sink in for a second. Now, again, I don't think that there is – and, and all due respect, I love Bo Hill and everybody over in, in, in the Bryan building, I do. I don't know that you've got an AD in waiting here. So I think you go outside. But I do think because of Mark Keenum's work with the playoff committee, you know, being the president of the SEC and all that sort of stuff, you know, the, among the university presidents, you know, he's the, the rubber meets the road with Dr. Keenum. I think he is more connected now in the world of athletics than he has ever been at any point in his tenure as Mississippi State University president. So there are more names on his short list than probably ever before, and, and not necessarily names that maybe you know. Again, we've got a hot board up over at jeanspage.com, and you, actually we run a promotion for the next two days you get an annual subscription to jeanspage.com, the 247 sports affiliate for Mississippi State, for 75% off. It's, it, it's a traumatic time in many respects, right? We're going through change. Good, bad, or indifferent, no matter your feelings about John Cohen, you know, you're gambling on the next guy, no matter who it is, right? I mean, that's just the reality of life. But we're going to be covering the search extensively. You've got to come over there and ask us questions. We'll have articles and things like that. We'll have updates as we get them. 75% off. It's a great deal. So let me offer a few things out there. Um, I'm never going to sit here and advocate for one candidate over another. 
One of the first reasons about that is my opinion really didn't mean a whole lot. I'm not making the decision. But at some point, I'm going to have to work with these individuals. So I'm not going to get out here and campaign for one candidate over another. But I like John Curry. And as some people would say, well, Steve, you know, John Curry was at Tennessee when they had that fiasco. And there's a lot to that. And I think in many respects, John Curry was probably scapegoated unfairly in that deal. And John Curry, and and I have the phone records around here somewhere, John Curry had Dan Mullen basically committed to leave Mississippi State Thanksgiving week 2017 and get on a plane and fly to Knoxville, tour the facilities, and talk about becoming the next head football coach at the University of Tennessee. Nick Fitzgerald's leg is broken Thursday night. Things get a little dicey, and then Florida reaches out to John Cohen. Tuesday or Wednesday of Thanksgiving week, Scott Strickland does. They want to speak to Dan. Of course, John's like after the game. Once Florida focused on Dan Mullen, he stopped returning John Curry's text or calls. But John Curry had his man, and then things went south. Mullen ends up at Florida. Curry has to recalibrate. They try to go out there and hire Shiano, and there's riots in the street. And then Phil Fulmer basically snaked him when he was in working to hire, hiring Mike Leach. If Curry had not been terminated when he was, Mike Leach is likely to head football coach at the University of Tennessee back in 2018. But I like John Curry, and he's done a great job at Wake Forest. I like Jared Banco. I thought Jared Banco did a great job here at Mississippi State. Jared's got us creative with money. Uh, I'll share a story with you, too. When uh, I used to be on the sideline shooting pictures pre-COVID. Now we have people that you know, do that for us. They, they limited the number of people that could be on the field, obviously, during 2020. And so, like Carl Maddox, I've been kicked upstairs. I'm in the press box these days. Um, but Jared Banco was here back then, 18, 19. So we're on the sidelines, and it's usually – I'd be down there, and it's, it, sometimes I'd spend up talking to Mike Ritchie and Mike Nemeth and and, uh, and Jared Banco. And so Jared's like, hey, I got to go. I'll be right back. And he comes back, and he's like all sweated through his shirt. You know, his brow's all covered with beads of sweat. I'm like, dude, where you been? What happened? He goes, oh, man, we had a logjam of people trying to get through security here. And so I went over there to help run the gate and get people in, get our fans in. I was like, well, I don't know that I've seen an associate AD kind of do that kind of stuff. You know, uh, Mike Ritchie, I guess, does that kind of stuff too. But, you know, but Banco, like, on his own, it's like, hey, they're having a problem at this gate. I went and took care of it. good friend of mine went out to see the uh, Georgia Southern Regional in baseball this year. And there's Jared Banco driving a golf cart, you know, picking up, uh, you know, senior citizens, elder people. Uh, expected mothers, people like that, on a golf cart and bring them to the stadium. You got your athletic director out there being the face of the program, taking care of the donorship, making the fans feel important. It's a good, good thing. Got a lot of people out there. Got a lot of names on this list. I don't have strong opinions about all of them because I don't know them. Or I don't have a relationship with them or I don't have... Uh, you know, a big handle on their skill set. I know that John David Wicker is a guy that a lot of our, our fans are very, very 
uh, excited about. We've had, you know, I know that he was a candidate when we uh, hired John. And so that's a guy with ties to Mississippi State. I understand he has uh, a lot of support among some people within our fan base. And, and that could be a, a serious name of interest. You know, Mike Alford is a guy, too, that has some connections to Mississippi State. There's a lot of names out there. And, of course, the first list is going to be the most inclusive. We're going to be as thorough with that as we can because this search is just beginning. And I can tell you that over the weekend I did get some reports that uh, you know, some people had already you – know, State had put some feelers out. I think we all knew how this ultimately was going to end with John. That, you know, even though that you know, he hadn't, quote, made a decision, I think once it went public, I think in many respects that there was really no turning back at that point. And so there have been some feelers out. So it's not like Dr. Keenum has been you know, caught flat-footed with this. Of course, uh, you know, John Cohen, of course, let Dr. Keenum know last week kind of where things were and where he'd be and what was happening. So it's not like Dr. Keenum has just been, kind of been sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. So, John, what are you going to do? And Dr. Mark Keenum, I would submit to you, and granted, you know, I've got a much different relationship with him than maybe I have previous university presidents. But I think we're going to look back one day and we're going to say, you know what, Mississippi State really thrived under the leadership of Dr. Mark Keenum. And uh, my father was somebody that was really an advocate for Mark Keenum years ago before he passed away, that uh, Mark Keenum was a superstar. But not only did we get Mark, we got Rhonda too. And, uh, you know, people that could get things done. And I think when you look at what Mississippi State has done, you look at our enrollment, you look at the projects and uh, the grades in which this university is now viewed uh, upon, I think you've, you can all agree that Dr. Keenum has done a great job. Now, Keenum also was an athlete. Dr. Mark Keenum was a Bulldog, played at Northeast Mississippi Community College. But this is a guy that understands how important athletics are to our branding. He understands that is a big recruitment tool for us. You want Mississippi State to be the fun school. You want State to be the winning school. You want State to be associated with very positive things. So as a result, you've got this stuff going on. You've got, you know, baseball, football, basketball. And so Keenum gets it. So Keenum's not just going to go out there and just hire some bum and consider the job done. But I go back to what we've talked about. What has he done historically? Both athletic director hires have been people that he knew and knew well. And, yes, both happen to be from within. And, again, let me reiterate, I don't expect State to promote from within this time. I don't. And that's not to say that we don't have some very talented people. I think at this point, State needs some fresh ideas. I think it's good to go out there and get some people. Like I think about Red Hobart. Now, Red's not a candidate for the job. But Red was here, did a great job for us, left and went to Wake Forest, saw how some other people do it, traveled around the ACC, and brought some great ideas back to Starkville with him. That's how life usually works. Sometimes you got to, you know, people are like, oh, I wish they'd never leave. Well, sometimes you got to go out there. You got to get away from home to come back home and bring back some things that benefit the homeland. I think that's an important aspect of all of this. I think you bring in somebody new, and maybe it's somebody that knows us, but perhaps it's somebody that is not one of us. Now, I don't mean that disrespectfully to anybody. But I think maybe you get somebody that understands how things work at Mississippi State, but maybe not somebody that is maybe 
finally are greatly in tune with what maybe some of our fan base is willing to accept. We're trying to go farther, right? Again, I'm very appreciative of John Cohen and all his contributions to Mississippi State Athletics as a player, coach, and administrator. We're trying to build upon that now. We're trying to take this forward. And so I think the way you do that is you got to go out there and get a very innovative and aggressive and hungry individual. I don't know that you need somebody in the sunset of their career, despite how excellent they perhaps have been. I think you got to get somebody with something to prove. And it's incredible, too, when you begin to look around this. Who knew that Mississippi State was the cradle of college athletics for athletic directors? My goodness. Think about that for a second. The last three athletic directors at Mississippi State are within the league. They come here, they do a good job. We've had a good run of ADs, despite what you may think. People are like, oh, I didn't really care for it. Well, you know, apparently, you know, Alabama and Florida and Arizona and Auburn did. And I would suggest and submit that they probably know a whole lot more about that job than you or I do. But now, one of the reasons I think this hire is very important, too, and again, John Curry would be good because he's kind of from the Bill Byrne family. That's Greg Byrne's dad. Those guys are all friends. Mississippi State needs friends in the room. Mississippi State has the same voting power as Alabama when it comes to our ballot, but we have to have people that kind of go along with us. And so I think if you get a guy that, number one, maybe already has a relationship with Greg Byrne, has a relationship with Scott Strickland, has a relationship with John Cohen, in some respect, well, now all of a sudden you've got four of 14 that are going to be somewhat sympathetic to your cause. I think if, if you make the wrong hire here and you don't maybe have some political allies within the league, I think it's going to be difficult to get Mississippi State's message across. You have to have friends. That's how life works. And so I think it's important to, because again, and, I, and I'll, I'll share some things with you too, kind of some insider trading. If you don't think that Greg Byrne and Scott Strickland still kind of look out for Mississippi State when they can, you don't believe that? You're kidding yourself a little bit. It's true. That's, they're they're going to do what's best for their respective institutions, but when they have an opportunity to help us, they do. If it makes sense for everybody, they do. And I tell you this, too, we talk about people's contributions. We talk about John finishing the stadium. We talk about John winning an SEC championship. You know, one of the things that uh, if we end up in this new schedule rotation, not having Alabama on our schedule, that may be the greatest contribution to John Cohen's given to Mississippi State sports, right? It's kind of the reality of it, right? That they, those guys have absolutely owned us. And if we end up not having to play those guys, John Cohen's going to deserve a lot of credit for that. Now, again, there are a lot of people that get credit for things that their predecessors put in motion. So, again, and I'm always about propping up a new guy too, right? Because you want that guy to be successful. You want to be able to get people to support him. And I have a whole lot more to say about this on the jeanspage.com message boards in the days ahead. But um, I think it's really important to kind of understand that uh, this is an opportunity for State to really take a step forward. That's not a criticism of John Cohen. That's not a criticism of Mark Keenum. It's not a criticism of anybody that's kind of been before John, any of his predecessors. But this is a chance for us, again, to unite as a fan base and say, you know what, okay, listen, we appreciate what's happened. We're ready for more. 
And listen, we've got problems. Everybody does. If you've never done it, just kind of go through the other message boards of other teams, and you'll see a lot of the same complaints, just different people doing the complaining. Well, we don't like this uniform. Went to campus the other day, didn't like this paint color. You know, I mean, there's like, there's all that stuff. So we're not unique in that respect. People think, oh, we're the worst fans. Well, really not. We're just fans. And you look around, it's the same everywhere. And there, there are a few fans out there, of course, they've kind of grown accustomed to winning. When they lose, they whine a little bit more. But the reality of it is, is fans are typically not rational when it comes to their complaining. At the end of the day, it comes from a good place. They want what's best for Mississippi State. And we, we deal with that all the time on our message board. There's, you know, there's always different groups that say, oh, you know, well, this is what's worked for us in the past. And the thing that I always ask is, did it really? Has it really worked for us? Again, I go back and look at this list of 17 athletic directors and how many times we've promoted from within. Now, in recent years, we've seen all three of these guys uh, go on to other SEC jobs. So clearly we identified good candidates. And we've had a really good run the last decade or, or longer, really. Last dozen or so years, we've had a really, really nice run. But I go back here and I look at all this stuff, you know, you know, we talk about how bad we were in football. And we these days, we want to be so incredibly critical of our contemporaries, right? But I go back and look, you know, some of these names that we mentioned had their names on buildings, but football was absolutely awful during their tenure. Awful. We don't talk about that because we didn't live through it, right? But you go back and look at that. I mean, goodness gracious. You know, you had so many guys that were former football coaches. And I asked myself, if you've got a losing football coach, why would you make him in charge of the whole athletic department? That doesn't make any sense. If he can't win on the field, how's he going to teach others to do so? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And again, I didn't live through it, so I can't maybe intelligently talk about that decision-making process. But this time, you know, Dr. Mark Keenum, of course, on his watch, is now charged again you know, with hiring an athletic director. And I have a lot of confidence in him. I mean, goodness gracious, I mean, the last three have had other schools come calling. People don't go out and hire losers. You hire people that you believe improve your standing. And so there's a good chance at some point we're going to have another AD leave us. You might as well prepare for that. I mean, Larry Templeton stayed the longest, I guess, since Duty Noble. But in the modern era, Larry stayed the longest. And Larry had other opportunities, but elected to stay here. And so there's a good chance because the, the last three have left us for another job. But what I would say is that in the event five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years from now, somebody comes calling for our athletic director, it probably means that we are in pretty good shape. It may not be great shape. We're in good shape. And, you know, and maybe we need to look at kind of restructuring some things. You know, NIL is a big thing now. I got a lot to say about that, but I'm not going to talk about it today. NIL is a big thing. We have to change with the times in order for Mississippi State to remain competitive and be even more competitive. We have to change with the times. We have to be willing to adapt. And I think this hire is extremely crucial because we need to bring somebody in that I think, number one, can evaluate and hire coaches, ensure that they have all the resources available to be successful, and that's budgetary that's bulldog club that's nil 
all of that is now part of the package. And if you don't think that when we go out and hire coaches that we're going to be interviewing, hey, what's your NL collective look like? You're kidding yourself if you don't think that's not going to be you know, part of the, the agenda. It's like, okay, coach, yeah, this is great. You know, yeah, the salary is good. The benefits are great. Um, how much money do I have to work with on NIL? Oh, well, I don't know. Well, this other job that I'm considering, they got $20 million raised. And we can, con- we can continue to think that, hey, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And, again, I'll talk more about that on Wednesday. But that's it for today. i got to get ready and go see Mike Leach. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.